What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine. Today, we are closing the gap. We are talking about Season 3, Episode 12, Past Tense, Part 2. I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, how you doing, Mike? New hair? New hair, Mike? Looking good? Looking pikey? Oh, I'm piked. I, I, well, I learned from my guy today that when it's shorter... It's easier, mm -hmm. it looks, you get more color rather than just the white, which I said, not when you're Pike, because he keeps it all kinds of gray and salt and peppery all over, but it's also keeping it short. Keeping it short is the key, Keith. That's what they say. Nobody cares. I'm excited because I got up early this morning because mm -hmm. one of the two of us is having their abdomen chopped into tomorrow. That's uh, Tuesday, but yes. Tuesday, yeah, yeah, well, yes. Uh, the day before this airs. Correct. So I will. Ha it'll already have happened when you're watching this, folks. So uh, hopefully you 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 did just fine, Keith. You're bionic now yourself. You're an augment yourself now. I'm an augment. Yes. Uh, but either way, uh, so we are doing this a little bit early for us, and so that's great for me because I got to see part two a little bit sooner than waiting the whole week. And I have to say, I have I have a lot of feelings and thoughts. I didn't think I was going to have so many feels this morning. And I had quite a few feels, so I can't wait to chat about it. Uh, I didn't get a chance to check out the companion, so I'm really looking forward to Trivial Trivia to hear anything new. That I might oh, I got lots know. of Trivial Trivia. Cool. Don't you worry. Lots of fun stuff. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. But uh, but before we do, we have to do two things. Okay. One, we have to thank the people who are supporting this show and, uh, you know, helping help them to pay for my surgery. Let's be honest. Yeah, and that the, big, is, the big bucks. The big bucks. And that is our patrons. You can join at patreon.com slash KNM and get all sorts of fun, chunky nonsense. You know you're going to love it. Uh, you know what? I'm going to take a swing at it. Our patrons this week are Bryant Kimball, Beer Sock, Brian Kaufman, Casey Clark, Jason Moe, Brendan Joshua, Andrew Hayes, Jorge Navoa, and the mysterious Wars Buchivs, Richard Coleman, Charles Babbage, Theorem Productions, Nikolai Ivanovich Lobachevsky, at Grim Toys, Delusions at Noon, JD Makes, Colin Dagan, Chris Mitchell at CRM, Pat, and Joshua Cronin. Keith, every week they get to watch me watch this and Strange New World. They also get to ask us anything they might want. Sometimes they take That's advantage, right. sometimes they don't. We also do other fun stuff. We watch the animated series on occasion. We watch some TNG on occasion. We got to get back to both those things. So the summer sure holds do. wonders. Uh, and I'm also going to be playing a lot of different stuff uh, game-wise. Maybe you, Keith, I, I'm, we're big gamers this summer. Hopefully we'll, we'll get some more games up there next week. No, in mere days, the game you say I can't play, but I'm playing it anyway comes out. No! And, yep. I, Keith, I, re I read that there are no spoilers. The only thing we have to know is it does take place in a time zone we're familiar with, but there are no spoilers. There are no, it doesn't appear to be any cameos from, I think there's like, there might be a Vulcan. Anyway, we're, I'm playing it. So I'm hoping you're going to come send, with me. Send me the references you have re-spoilers because, you know, some people consider some things spoilers and not other things spoilers. So All right, I'll... I'll we're playing the game, folks. Anyway, we're, we're gonna uh, bet. We're gonna bet this. You can join the team, and I hope that you consider it at Patreon.com/slash KNM. And if you cannot, be due mm. to fiscal restraints, that is fine. There's other ways you can help. You can leave us a super tip down below. We'll read your comment if you do so, or you can find us or like and subscribe, of course, on YouTube. But you've already done that, I'm sure. Yeah, of course. And of course, we this is also available 
Oh, Patreon's also getting an RSS feed with all of our shows that are also podcasts. Otherwise, you got to search for us. But if you do, and if you find us, and if you're listening in your ear holes and loving it, please leave a ranking or review on your podcast service of choice. It does help. It helps us get into the computer AI algorithm to get more people to join our community, to chat with us, to chat with you. Keith, let's do this thing. For sure. And Mike, did you did you know that this month, this April into May, we uh, the the audio only version of this show, Deep Space Nine, broke the all time best month that Out of Practice podcast ever had. You're telling me there aren't thousands upon thousands of people who are deciding 25 years on to rewatch David E. Kelly's The Practice, which before we did a podcast on it, I didn't even know was a thing. Yeah. And 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 there are less of those people than people who are watching Deep Space Nine again. It's it's hard to imagine, but. Uh, I was so sure we were going to find an audience without a practice podcast. You know what? And we did. But already, there's a bigger one here for Deep Space Nine. So uh, you should never let me pick the show, even though I picked both of these. So here we are. It's not the size uh, of the audience, Keith. It's the motion of the ocean. What you do with their comments. I, I don't know. I got nothing. <laughs> or what you do while reading those comments. Am I right? <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. All right. So, and I feel like this is a perfect opportunity to read some comments. All right. Let's here, do it. Uh, here are your ratings for Past Tense Part 1. If you would like to have your reading, we, right? We didn't give them rating. the full week, though, to do this. No, no, no. This is like just a couple of days. Like, not even 48 hours. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, do it fast. You better watch this podcast right away. Do it. Real fast, uh, because we might just record the next one in like an hour. But uh, based, okay, so here are here's the rankings based on an incomplete sampling. Based on an incomplete sampling, but if you would like to be part of the incomplete sampling, leave a rating of one to a hundred self-sealing stem bolts in the comments for this video here mm-hmm. and all the previous ones. But if you don't get it in before we record the next one, it's too late to be part of the official average. Oh, but hey we. Keith. I know we hmm. dealt with this on Geekly already, but let me say on this show, happy birthday week, buddy. Oh, thank you. Future, yeah. Yeah, well, it'll be past. Uh, my, we're my covering all, is... you know, just like uh, just like O'Brien and Kira, we're covering... We're in time travel. We're covering yeah, we're all before, over after, yeah, whatever. Yeah, uh, when is my birthday? Oh, it's tomorrow. Oh, how about that? Okay, so, uh, as we're recording this. So, anyway, so here are your ratings for Past Tense Part 1. Joshua Cronin gives it a 70. Interesting. Jason Moe gives it a full 90. Delusions at Noon gives it an 86. And Sans Deity coming in with the super tip once again, which means I'm going to read your comment. And here is what Sans Deity said. Another solid episode and just another example of Deep Space Nine really hitting its stride in Season 3. I don't hold things the things they got wrong about the future against them because predicting that what technology or society will be like in 30 years from now is very difficult, and Star Trek usually gets more right than wrong. That's darn sure. I think they got 30 years into the future much more right than, say, Back to the Future did. Also agreed. Uh, Back to the Future was a happy future. I don't know how you guys feel, how, how you feel, guys, but 
Even though he didn't direct this, I still feel Avery Brooks's fingerprints all over the episode, 100%. Beyond his acting performance, the social commentary about the marginalization of minorities especially. I don't know if there's any actual notes on this anywhere, but I can see Brooks making sure this episode was sending out the right message. I can too. The scene with the man drawing on his hand has always stuck out to me every time I see this, and I was glad that the resonance was shared with you, Keith, since, to be honest, I'm Keith Varney, just without the theater talent. I'm so sorry. Avery Brooks is able to convey so much of what's in Cisco's heart with just that simple touch. Yes. I feel Avery Brooks gets a lot of flack for overacting, and I can certainly see that in cases, but... He has many moments just like this where a facial expression or a subtle body movement just adds that perfect salt to a scene. This is especially true the times we see him being affectionate with Jake. Speaking of Back to the Future, I give this episode 88 gigawatts of self-sealing stem bolts. Hell yeah, they're self-sealing, motherfucker. Also, thought that's what I... Hey, I'm just, just reading the news. <laughs> also... Thoughts are, are with you, Mike, and your dad. Fifteen years ago, I lost a man who was not my father, but who was my dad. He's the one who gave me the love and support I always needed. I hope you have many happy memories, and I'm sure he would be proud of who you are today. Uh, that is very that's very moving and heartfelt, and and I am very much a believer in our family is who we choose and who chooses us, and uh, that I. I I'm with you 100% on, on the way you feel. About I think that's this why person. we love a lot of these shows where we get the gang all together and you watch you watch a crew, you watch a ragtag bunch of folks become a family. I think that's it resonates that's right. with us, especially you know. Often Keith, I I silo us into well, you know, we flew the coop and we found our tribe in the performing arts, but you can find your tribe in a variety of places, you know. And, and of course, it's always beautiful and. You know, we talk about, I talk about my time in New York, the ups, downs, and the in-betweens, and, you know, my mom was lamenting recently about how I, we can never get the time back that you were gone, and blah, blah, and 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 I see the sentiment, I get what she's saying, but I, I remind her, well, you know, everyone I know, the majority of people I know and love that I consider the, the core to my family, I, I met because I went there, and they are there, you know, yep. from there, and my wife included, and my best friends. So, of course, yeah. Yeah, and I include you guys out there as well, especially those of you who, who take the time to comment and send your wishes, no matter, you know, Keith and I set out to do a podcast about specific top topics, but you know as well as I do that this is often most about us as well, and and. Uh, we appreciate the support in, in any in every time you send it. And even those who aren't, we feel it. So thank you. Yeah. No, and there I, I think chosen family is no less family than blood family, I firmly believe. To San's points. Mm-hmm. And also a shout out to Delusions who uh, left an amazing treatise who I also I agree with always quite, does quite a bit. Phenomenal work. Always. Uh, I think the points he raises there about Avery Brooks are actually more uh, visceral in the in this part too. So I'm excited to talk about that. Yeah. And I think we'll, let's let's pre-frame this conversation because Delusions brings out a, a pretty pretty cool, a pretty interesting critique on part mm. one. In that he finds it more interesting when we explore moral gray areas with. Right. With this show and with science fiction, I agree. And here it's very clear cut. What's good, 
what's right, what's wrong, what's being happening. And I think part two, in my opinion, might address it a little bit more specifically because sometimes the the atrocities of our civilization don't need to be argued. Both sides. Yeah, don't need to be both sides. But if we can use this lens to try to experience it in a first-person POV, uh, can yeah. be effective if, and this is the question I'll, I'll pose before we go into the conversation, if those on screen can find emotional resonance that can translate to us. So yeah. if, if they can be that, that surrogate. So there you go. Yeah, oh my God, yeah. That's, I mean, that opens up such a such a can of worms that, you know, I, I am a firm believer that the number one, um, the, the most uh, persuasive thing in our human experience, the most, you know, the, the thing that can actually change hearts and minds, it's empathy. It's, you know, I, I, we, I, I've talked about it on other shows, but like my, my grandparents, right? My grandfather, you know, served in World War II and in the Navy, one of his duties was, uh, unofficial duties was to go into the bars in San Francisco and kicking out the gay sailors. Right, he was basically this horrible duty. So he he came into it this this way, and in the eighties through his church, he actually started to meet gay people and let you know gay and lesbian and the, the whole LGBT community. And he found in himself once I met these people and saw them and heard their stories and heard what they went through and and eye to eye emotionally with somebody, he's like, oh God. I've been completely wrong and through empathy through through compassion completely changed his point of view and became a gay rights advocate for the rest of his life and a passionate aggressive advocate speaking in the capital and working with the church like really devoting a lot of his life to that and the persuasive point was like you said that first person view that empathy, make eye contact with somebody going through this. That is more persuasive than any argument, mm -hmm. than any political thing, than any sort of, you know, like logic. It's it's about people and empathy. And I think that that is incredibly important. And also to why, oh sorry. oh, sorry. And and sorry, the second part of this, you know, uh, um, Delusions That News point about it, you know, there not being a lot of gray area in this. And I think you're 100% right in that some the most fascinating episodes have a little bit of a question mark at the end. We'll have a little bit of a dot, dot, dot. However, I do think there is tremendous value in showing stuff like this because, you know, whether you're talking about World War II, right? Or you're or you're dealing with atrocities throughout history, there's no black and there's there's no gray area in the Holocaust, right? Mm -hmm. But we need to see it. It is important that we see it and bear witness to it and feel the emotional stakes of it, even though there was no gray area to it. Mm -hmm. um, but such a fascinating comment; it had me thinking all for like two days. Anyway, Mike, yeah, me go ahead. too. And, and just to put a to put a point on it, and we'll move forward. You know, his critique, I, I didn't stop there, and I think where I would probably agree with him in some ways, especially after watching part two is that in part one, we were focused so specifically on the setup and 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 placing the pieces so that we could have a satisfying part two. I think maybe, not entirely, but we didn't get the full thro throttled 
emotional resonance from a lot of, of some of the the characters. And so it kind of, I don't want to say failed, because it didn't. It was a good episode. We ranked it very high. It was, it didn't completely square the circle in, in, right. as far as, as what I think he was looking for. So I'm, I'm excited. Thank you so much for the insight you guys send every week. It's wonderful. Keep doing it. We appreciate yeah. it. It, it it's really sort of sort of my favorite part of this and of course it makes me feel dumb because everybody has such mm-hmm. <laughs> much smarter points than we ever come up with um well it serves but, exactly the the purpose hopefully you guys are have enjoying yourselves which is the point but for me <laughs> um you know as as hokey as it is as hosts it yes we Keith and I often joke about and the jokes are funny because they're mostly true that this is a vanity project that podcasting is just 100% vanity obviously. But I'll say this. So much of my day, and so much of my life, actually, I spend not around folks. I'm I'm pretty isolated most, especially when my wife's gone. But when I'm walking, when I'm jogging, when I'm sitting on the back porch with a little fire pit, I am a lot of times reading your comments, responding to your comments, or simply thinking about them. And that is legit, and that's that's really cool. And as Keith said, it's it's pretty awesome. So thank you. Yes. 20 minutes. Let's go. (laughs) <laughs> let's let's move forward. Uh, let's let's do the important stuff and talk about this episode, Past Tense, Part Two, which aired on January 9th, nineteen ninety five. The last episode that Deep Space Nine was the only Star Trek series on the air. The top song continued to be Mike. I can't wait to hear on bended knee, boys to men. Um. He reaches for his volume of knob to turn it down. On Tuesday, Keith will be down a bended knee because they cut a hole in his tummy. <laughs> and they're going to say, probably don't lift anything, Keith. And he's going to say, it's probably not a problem. I plan on sitting on the couch and playing Xbox. That's 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 fair. That's fair. So there it is. I, I didn't expect a song about my tummy, but here we are. <laughs> The top movie was Legends of the Fall. That was the uh, like the Brad Pitt Brad movie. Pitt. Brad Pitt. And, he had long uh, hair, right? Long hair. They're out like in you know on the uh, the Wild West or something yeah. like that. And there's like a river or something. I don't know. Somebody died. I don't remember. Anyway, yeah, uh, people were people were going for the plot. I'm sure. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. Just like they do for us. They're yeah. only here for the plot, right? <laughs> Mike, what was on TV that night? Keith, find me the corner of the internet that has Mike and Keith fanfic. <laughs> you know what? Please, please don't, no, don't please yeah. don't. Or at least please, please AI don't. generate it and just let's. Because you know that's going to be slash fic, and nobody wants that. <laughs> Keith, you know, speaking of David E. Kelly and our our multi award winning podcast, every week we won awards. Actually, no, take that back. We we handed them we out. Gave awards. Yeah, we didn't win right. anything. Chicago Hope. Was uh-huh. rocking 10 p.m. on CBS, uh, love brand Chicago. new Love and Hope, which was a David E. Kelly joint, right? Sure was. Manny yep. Patinkin, uh, Adam Arkin. This was also when Murphy Brown started being followed up. Murphy Brown was being used as a lead-in to the new Sybil Shepherd joint, uh, just called Sybil. Sybil, which I, I didn't watch that. at the time, but this was an episode called "How Can I Call You My Ex-Husbands If You Won't Go Away." Clever title. Oh. That's a. I, I feel like Jillian said that to me like last <laughs> yesterday. 
That is, uh, like, so unbelievably appropriate to my life. Uh, NBC was rocking The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Blossom, and then the Monday Night the Movies was Jake Lasseter, Justice on the Bayou, Fox had their juggernaut, Melrose Place, followed by Models, Inc., which uh, oh. didn't last long because it couldn't get the ratings. Uh, CBS, there was somebody course, on that that was important. Yeah, check Hold it on. out. Then We had The Keep Nanny, talking. Women of the House, Murphy Brown, Sybil, Chicago Hope. That's CBS had a great night of TV there. And then ABC, of course, had Coach. Did someone call me Snorer? A whole new ball game, which I don't know what that was. Opening day, that was a... Had a great, pretty great ranking. A whole new ball game on ABC. I wonder what that that was. Clearly, sitcoms, a half hour sitcom. I don't know what it, the show was. And then there, ABC Monday Night at the Movies, fighting for my daughter. Pretty good night of television. You know what? The 90s sort of was like the perfect time period for just enough TV channels to like flick through and find something to watch. Now there's so much. I don't know what half this stuff is. I don't, I'm not interested in it. No, Too it's, much. it's completely overwhelming. Yeah, it wasn't who I was thinking. Carrie Ann Moss was on it mm. before. Uh, Look up the sitcom A Whole New Ball Game on ABC. What was that? Kurt Deutsch was on it. That's what I remember. Head of Deutsche Bank, of course. No, head head of uh, the, the, the the Broadway uh, record company. Yeah. Uh, do we know Whole New Ball Game? Have you looked that up? Hold on. Hold on. I was knowing somebody I know was on the show. That's cool. Keith, you want me to pick that up for you? That name you dropped? Oh, please. That's like the least, <laughs> the least, the least name drop I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Richard Kind. Yes, I've met him too. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Ah! Yo, my buddy in... Ian, that's his uncle. All right. I don't care. I don't Fine, whatever. <laughs> whatever. Uncle. Say the two absolute nobodies. <laughs> We've got tens of subscribers, okay? I mean, literally. Wait, what do you want to know about this show? Any, Literally anything about it. Is it Corbin Burnson? Uh, yeah. Julia Campbell, John O'Hurley. Okay. Uh, Did it yeah, run you know. for more than a season or no? No way. Nope. Yeah. Nope. It was one season and it was only eight episodes. Yeah. No chance. Well, so, yeah. Well, but there, there you go. That's uh, it. Thanks, guys, for sticking around for all of that. Amazingness. Anybody have a memory of the whole new ball game? I'd love to hear it. (laughs) That's a very specific memory. Okay, so let's talk about the hard news and the weekly world news headline. Uh, Let's pull it up because I didn't write it down. Oh, no, that's not the right thing. Oh, Did I I put the wrong one in the wrong place? Or I didn't update it. Never mind. Uh, The star was still there. Uh, Holy Land, still there. Hold on, let's see. Guess what, Keith? Oh, look at that! interview with an angel an exact oh and who uh, reveals the exact date christ is going to return to the earth oh, thank Good to know. goodness I, I in did. 95 oh my mm-hmm. I, I think it's the same time as the eugenics wars in the in the 90s but um the miracle know, I, that I, will amaze the world in 1995 what heaven is really like messenger from god reveals lots of hard news hard news yeah. All right, so uh, let's let's get into the actual episode. Episode and stop wasting your time with our shenanigans. This episode was directed by, of course, legendary Jonathan Frakes. Back, oh yeah, Frakes. who last directed Meridian. Uh, bet he was happier to get this script than yeah. Meridian. It has a teleplay by Ira Stephen Bear and Renee Echevarria, who last wrote on Equilibrium, with a story by Ira Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf, which means. It's time for something trivial, Mike. 
Keith, I'm so, so glad to hear that. Now, Keith, waste your time with Trivial Trivia. All right, there's a lot of fun stuff in here. Uh, A lot of little Easter eggs here. Starting with the boxing advertisement in the 1930s scene focuses on the same boxers from an ad that we saw in the original series time travel episode, City on the Edge of Forever, which places uh, Kira and O'Brien in the, there at the same time as Kirk and Spock in one of the most famous episodes of Trek of all time. That's very cool. I, I noticed, I didn't catch the Easter egg, obviously, but I noticed that the 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 advertisement was so prominently in the shot and semi-focused that it had to be a call to something because it was way too specific of a design not to be. Except, uh, according to the um, companion, the the production team built that as an Easter egg, but when Frakes set up that shot, he didn't know it was an Easter egg. That's funny. So, uh, and there's, so both posters have Easter eggs. In the 60s ones, there's reference to Iris Stephen Bear and and, uh, Berman, in one of the hippie posters as well. Uh, pretty cool. This is Frake's third and final episode of Deep Space Nine. But this is the episode that got booked him the feature film Star Trek First Contact, which is possibly the best Trek movie. So because of this episode, we got Star Trek First Contact. We should be grateful. We got the movie or we got him directing it? We got him directing it. Yeah, okay. Um, and it's a phenomenal movie. So much fun. The civilian clothes that O'Brien and Kira wear. Mike, did you recognize those silly clothes that they wore? It's the ones they wore when they went down to the vegetable planet. Uh, not the vegetable planet? You know where that guy's like grumpy in the kitchen and he's they're trying to kick him out, but he's just making vegetable stew. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The burdock root or whatever it is. No, uh, it is the same outfit because they were together. They wore to rescue Lee Nollis on the Cardassian labor camp. Do you know so the joke? She... The joke I made was they look like they are just uh, ex uh, ensemble members in productions of Godspells in different decades. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. But the, like that—that that was like, oh, I'm gonna wear my like fake prostitute outfit with the knit and, and go and seduce the 30s and the 60s. Whatever. I was I, I I I lament imagine you know we all I often think what would it be to be one of those extras in a XY episode of of Star Trek or any show um and this one is funny because imagine you're in this very dramatic very emotionally charged episode yeah. and you tell people I was in uh oh my god Star what's Trek? the name of this, what's the name of this episode Past tense. Uh, I, I, you tell your friends, you know, I was in past tense part two, and people are like, oh my god, what, what were you? Were you one of the, the hostages? Or no, 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 I was the, I was the groovy '70s person with Jimi Hendrix playing in the background. You're like, oh, okay, <laughs> sure. Yeah, cool. that was that was something. We'll talk about yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, in fact, while you while you mention it, the song that Kira and O'Brien hear is in 1967 is of course hey joe played by the Jimi hendrix experience did you did you look it up or did you know that to be oh, hendrix, I knew that. By the way? yeah of course I, uh, I was it was curious we the if the costumes didn't put you in the time period they spent that money on to license a song that's so 
different. They did for the first run, but, and on our version of it, you go on to Paramount Plus, it's just a new dude noodling on electric guitar. Oh, interesting. It's not there. So uh, if you're listening to it and you hear Jimi Hendrix, you're listening to an earlier version of the broadcast. Well, or you're watching on patreon.com slash KNM. Yeah, there you go. There you go. The uh, the beaming into timelines scenes, including like that, were actually added to pad out the episode. It was running oh, short. You don't say. So that's why it happened. I thought it was cute. I mean, it was stupid, but it was the yeah. The... Uh, okay, I, I think at worst, detrimentally, tonally inconsistent. At best, cute, nonchalantly cute. cute. They they yeah. were lightening it up. Well, because it's pretty dark. So uh, Clint Howard, who plays the uh, the mentally ill man about aliens, uh, you might know him. He played Baylock on the original series as a little boy. You know, Ron Howard's little little bro or older bro, I actually don't know, uh, is like a prolific character actor. He's in everything. My favorite, he, one of my favorites, is uh, Apollo thirteen. He's excellent in Apollo thirteen. He's, oh, he's always great. And this is his second of four Star Trek appearances. So he will also be on Enterprise and then again on Discovery. Mm-hmm. So uh, he keeps popping up 50 years apart in Trek I history. That seems a, his, his arc in this episode is a little anticlimactic, but, but regardless, we'll get there. Yeah. Uh, also, speaking about his part, Mike, did you know that that part was written for Iggy Pop? Interesting. They would have had David Bowie and Iggy Pop? That would have fake David Bowie and the real Iggy Pop. Uh, unfortunately, he wasn't able to do it. But, Mike, I'm not going to tell you when or in what context, but he will be appearing mm. on Deep Space Nine. Guys, we got this uh, species of alien, and it's calling for someone who's, like, really skinny and strung out. We have just the guy. <laughs> yeah, but it's pretty cool. And, and it is actually not just a cameo. Oh, it's okay, pretty cool. fun. I'm in. All right, so uh, Voyager at this point was only one week from the premiere. We're only one week from Caretaker. Excited to get into it. The guest stars on this episode include Jim Metzler, back as Christopher Brenner, Frank Military as BC, or as I call Douchey Hat Guy, the legendary Dick Miller as Vin, Deborah Van Volkenberg as Preston, Al Rodrigo as Bernardo Calavera, Clint Howard as Grady, Richard Lee Jackson as Danny Webb, and Tina Lifford as Lee, and oopsie winner Bill Smichovich back as Webb. I'm excited. Let's get into it, shall we? Let's do it. Dogs howling across <laughs> the states. Oh, All right. Here we are in the teaser. It takes up immediately after the conclusion of part one, and Douchey Hat Guy antagonizes the hostages before Cisco intervenes and says, We need them alive. They barricade the room to protect from snipers. Very smart. Then Vin comes in with a gun, and before Douchey Hat Guy can shoot him, 
Cisco tackles him and takes his gun. He throws him down and buys some trust with the hat guy. Whoa, that is that is a face. They're like, we need big choices, everybody. Big choices. Big choices. Well, I mean, it's to be fair, if they're playing the the reality of the scene, that's one hundred percent. Oh, sense. she's she's excellent in this episode. She's so good in the set. Tina Lifford is yeah. so good. So uh, they gain access to the net to see the news coverage of the incident. And as they board up the windows, Bashir expresses his anxiety that, uh, so you're, you're Gabriel Bell now, right? You know he's supposed to die. And that is what sends us into our credits. And we begin Act 1. The, uh, the hostage taking, uh, the hostages watch TV and discover the hostage takers. God, I can't, I write these things so fast. Sometimes it's just like letter gibberish. Mm-hmm. But we see that the entire world is watching what's happening here. And uh, Dushy Hat Guy makes a pretty good point. He's like, why is the world surprised? If you treat people like animals, you're going to get bit. And this is when Bill Sermichevich, i.e. Webb, comes in and says, this uh, didn't go quite to our plan of doing a protest, and this place is crawling with ghosts. So Cisco says, go find some other sane people to help me protect the hostages. Mila, meanwhile, Dax and Elon Musk watch the coverage from his office. I can't speak again. <laughs> the model outside of his window has transitioned to a night version, and both of them were pretty effective. Yeah, um, and It looks like a an actual 3D model and not a flat. Was that your sense with it as well? You know, to be honest, I didn't actually overthink it because it the effect worked. And I think it's, you know, they do a great job of geometry here and they have to, to give it dimension. And so uh, I liked it. And the lighting's exquisite. I, it almost makes me forget that she's dressed like she's in Gatsby cosplay. Yeah, well, I mean, basically, it is a Gatsby cosplay. Yeah. So it makes sense. Uh, Dax, of course, wants to go help. But Elon says, let's wait. I also so we, really enjoy, because we don't see it often, when they're in period or off-world garb or, let's say, non-Starfleet mm-hmm. uniforms, but wearing their communicator, it's cool. To see the communicator on something other than a uniform is pretty neat. I also like, because so often the like future outfits look like weird, stupid jammies. Mm-hmm. I like Dax's outfit here. Yeah, she looks cool. It's cool, like the jacket, and the, I also like that it's not particularly gendered, mm-hmm. which matches which matches the character. She's um, giving me strong Terry Hatcher vibes here, right? Ooh, I had some strong Terry Hatcher vibes in the nineties. <laughs> I still do. Yeah, I could, see, I could see I could see Terry Farrell as like a strong Lois Lane. Actually, she'd be phenomenal as Lois Lane. Yeah, yeah no question. Well, but she couldn't do Lois and Clark because she was already doing this. Yeah, and we need our Jadzia, okay. We need our Jadzia. So, RC uh, Cola David Bowie? <laughs> RC Cola Bowie. <laughs> That's funny. RC Bowie? RC Bowie. So, uh, Tab Bowie. <laughs> He's like Diet Bowie. Kirkland? <laughs> Kirkland, Kirkland Bowie. Bowie. <laughs> uh, but Kirkland Bowie would be better. Yeah. <laughs> like, Kirkland Bowie is like Sting. Yeah, you you pay almost full price for it. Yeah, yeah. But it's, but you know it's going to be high quality. Did you get it in bulk? Get it in bulk. Yeah, it's like three stinks. 
So on the Defiant, Kira decides to send herself and O'Brien down to search the timelines. And O'Brien has narrowed it down to 10 possibilities, down from 12 last episode. Kira enters wearing a Breathe Right strip to cover her Bajoranness. Time out. Yes. So this week on, or recently on Strange New Worlds, which is take took place quite a while back, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Couldn't they just, like, shoot you in the neck with something and change your appearance? Uh, well, three answers. One, okay, I'd take one, but let's go for it. <laughs> no, you're going to get three. <laughs> okay. One, uh, you know, we hadn't invented that cannon yet. Okay. Uh, two, they're on the Defiant, which does not have the the sort of sick bay technology that uh, most other starships would. And three, the Doctor is down on the surface. Okay. So the oh, best we can go. come up with is... A Breathe Right strip. A sticker. Okay, cool. Right. It, did it work or did it not work? Well, it turns out she didn't really... They didn't. They encountered all of three people in their entire excur- quantum leaping, so... I mean, they're only down there for like 30 seconds at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Right, cool. All right. Uh, Odo beams them down. He learned how to operate the transporter. That's handy. He looks like my and- mom trying to operate anything technical. What? Do, what, <laughs> how, who, what? Is this the button? Yeah, it says play, mom. That's the one. Sorry. It's it's my dad trying to answer the phone. There's no what? buttons. Yeah, what? If, how do are you, you hang speak? Up? Are, are you on speaker, dude? My mom's been calling me recently, and this just dead silence. And she's like, "Yeah," and I'm like, "You called me." What? You have to initiate the conversation. She calls me, Keith, expecting for me to have a question or something. I don't understand. <laughs> Do you have any questions? Yeah, why did you call me? That's really funny. Ugh. Okay. Uh, yeah, where are we? So uh, they arrive in the 1930s, right when Kirk and Spock are there. A couple of flappers come through, and uh, I thought it was kind of funny because... Uh, Kira totally biffs it and mm-hmm. can only say, I broke my nose. That made me guffaw aloud. It was, it's really funny. It's such yeah. a great, like, uh, character beat. <laughs> I broke my nose. <laughs> I, I, I broke my nose. <laughs> like, to totally biff it. That's hilarious. That's really good. It was really good. I you like know, it. as far as, like, for as, uh, inconsistently tonally juxtaposed as these scenes are and I've not settled as to how I feel about it I will say this they do offer the levity that they are proposed to they are funny yeah yeah well then I mean that you need to have something to lighten the mood it can be pretty dour otherwise yeah um I thought this one was much more successful than the other one I would agree so uh back with the hostages hat guy is annoyed that there are more gimmies around i.e. sane people and Cisco tries to alpha him while Smichevich reasons with him. That guy announces that the, his plan is to trade the trade the hostages for freedom, money, and a flight out. And uh, he gives he gives uh, Errol Flynn was born in Tasmania, which is Great the line. most ridiculous, crazy line. Yeah, uh, I don't know where. Like a dare. That felt like a dare or something. They like had a, like, they had they had a blank line. They were like, "What should we do?" I'm like, "I dare you. Make let's I'll make give a you two hundred dollars if you say Errol Flynn somehow in this episode." But actually, from a from a writing standpoint, right? It's a little tiny character detail. You don't need to mm-hmm. explain. It. You don't need to get into it. And it sort of you know it it just gives us a little bit of color there that could be so much more generic, right? 
it's specific, and I think it's better for it. Last summer when I was doing the Adams Family, the, the Gomez track has a lot of space for improvisation. In fact, it kind of begs for it a lot. And so we got to the game of people doing just that, giving me either a random name, reference, sentence, joke, random thing. They're like, work this mm-hmm. into the show somehow, and it added a lot of fun. Oh, definitely. And you know, I wish, I had, wish I'd watched this before. I would have Errol Flynn the hell out of it. You could have Errol Flynn. That's right. <laughs> I mean, you did that when we were when we were doing uh, uh, when you were doing "I Love You, You're Perfect." When I came to it, what did you work yes. in? You worked in like out of practice, something like that. Something I got it. I got it in for sure. That that also yeah. had that that had some breath as well. So, yeah. But what you're saying is you're terribly unprofessional. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. Very good. So Cisco and Webb say we need to bargain for shutting down the sanctuaries and reinstating the federal job acts, not just going to Tasmania. So Cisco assigns Webb to do the negotiations and he starts the speech before the connect and he starts. Oh, yeah. So Webb starts negotiating and speaking to the press about what they want to accomplish before the connection is severed from the outside. And then, of course, because I don't want people hearing what they have to say, Vin starts to antagonize them by calling them losers and reminding them that the feds are going to come in and kill everyone. And you know what you should always do? Antagonize your captors. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, we all remember that noise. All right, we're in. We're in. We're in, we're in, we're in, yeah. So uh, they get a video call from the detective hostage negotiator. And she wants to see the hostages, and Hat Guy naturally does it all scary-like. So they've been cut off from the press, but they are starting the negotiations. So in Act 2, Cisco pulls Hat Guy aside and tries to talk him out of hurting the hostages. He tries to intimidate Cisco, but Cisco does not get intimidated. Uh, Cisco, l- let me tell you, the ballsiness of Cisco in this episode is off the charts. Mm-hmm. Webb pulls Cisco out to talk with the negotiator in person, and we see that they've set up a barricade. Here upon the barricade, we've something. something I forgot the line. I've done that show anyway. It, and it's uh, not nearly as hokey as I thought it would be. It actually is pretty cool set design. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they put they put a lot of effort into this. They try to negotiate hostages for food. I, the cops say, you know, we'll give you some food if you give me the hostages, but Cisco has his eye on the big picture. Meanwhile, Bashir tries to comfort the woman who processed them. She's terrified, and he can tell that she's hypoglycemic, and he's going to help her. She remembers that Cisco didn't call himself Bell before, and Tina Lifford gives a terrific monologue about helping a woman who couldn't afford her children and how everybody pretends that it's not their fault that the system is broken and thus it stays that way. Um, I just wrote, she's great in this. This whole scene, uh, I think Siddig is excellent. Uh, I think, was it you or was it one of our commenters or was it the companion? Somebody made a comment that this arc, these two episodes, is where he really comes in his own as mm-hmm. Bashir, I, and I 100% agree. I love this. I, I mentioned Bashir. it last last week about how his performance has changed from the previous seasons, um, but he says, 
and, you know, Siddig says that this this was a really important story for Bashir's arc and sort of sets him on that character on his path, really for the rest of the series. Like this is this is the turning point for Bashir's character where he becomes he sort of figures out what he wants to accomplish, right? Because in the beginning, remember in the pilot, he's like, I'm just here because it's crazy and it's frontier and it's fun and like I'm gonna be like the cool ass doctor. And you see him sort of turning to like, oh, you know, I really want to deal with the real stuff and make a difference. And throughout the last episode and this episode, it's not just that he has some medical knowledge in helping these people. It's that he offers that sort of bedside manner, that that touch of empathy that that to each person he interacts with that I think is really... Well, I, he, he, I think he's developed a much keener sense of compassion, mm-hmm. which happens as you get older, right? I, I think you just naturally do. You know, before he was just, he wanted to show off how smart he is. Yeah. And I think now he really has like, he's, he's found deeper layers of compassion. It's really great. So the next morning, Vin tries to make a run for it. And Cisco has to keep Hat Guy at gunpoint to protect him. So we, again, are reinforcing Cisco is keeping everybody alive. So in Act 3, Cisco overpowers the Hat Guy and gives the... There's so many great one-liners in this. I don't like your hat. With Webb's help, Cisco warns Vin not to pull any more shit because I'm trying to keep you alive, you dummy. Man, I wrote... Brooks is on fire in this scene, and Dick Miller does a fantastic job here as well. This Another- scene, I think, the whole episode, but this scene specifically, you start to see it bubble over for Avery Brooks, and I think, yeah. you, for me, I saw like the wavy blurring between character and actor here, because I think, as one of our commenters brought up, spot on, the, the weight of what we're trying to say here on a human level, on a... Yeah. On a on a civics level is so powerful and important to Avery. He said in interviews that we read on the channel in in the companion about how you know how the plight of a, a certain class of people is important to him. And I think this was his opportunity to to play a character and to play an arc and express his personal feelings as an actor. And I think that you can see it, you can feel it, and it, the episode is the better for it. A, a, a million percent. I mean, you know, he he comes to this with the life experiences and the challenges of being a man of color. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially like at this point, he grew up through the fifties and sixties, like, and it's and not like it's particularly better now, but it's, it's like, God, the gravitas that he brings to this type of storytelling, because he, it's very clear. Like Avery Brooks is vibrating with passion about mm-hmm. these subjects. And it really comes through. And I think, like you and said, Cisco... I think we're all the better for it. And Cisco, you know, for better or for worse, allows his rage and his emotions sometimes to overcome him. And, you know, yeah. we don't see that with Picard a lot. You don't see that with a lot of other guys. No. So this is, it's it's really cool to see because he's a little uh, volatile, and, unpredictable. Well, and, and it, what's interesting is to try to discern what of that volatility and that rage that we're seeing is him losing control or him using it as a method of control mm. because he's you know he's using a little bit of volatility a little bit of unpredictability to keep hat guy in check he's trying to get through to this guy to get him to stop 
pulling nonsense and getting himself killed. And so there's, and he's playing the part of somebody that he's not. So he's, there's so many, I mean, if you think about what Avery Brooks is doing, because he's Avery Brooks, he's Cisco, and he's this third character all trying to control a bunch of different people who need different types of person to be controlled. That guy needs one thing. Vin needs another thing. It's hat a on a hat. Going on. on a douchey hat. On a douchey hat, but in a good way in this context. Uh, so, <laughs> after that phenomenal scene, Kira and O'Brien arrive in the 60s outside a hippie van playing loud music. As we said before, it's the original Hey Joe on our version. Paramount Plus is just somebody noodling on a guitar. A couple of hippies come uh, straight out of a community theater production of Hair and give them flowers before they beam out groovy. Not the most successful uh, portrayal of 60s hippies. I get what they were going for, but it was had all the subtlety of, like, my mom putting on a production of Hair. Yeah, let's just go ahead and say... In a pretty great episode, this one scene was like an entire swing and miss. And and give it that grace and move forward. Yes. Which is not to say that my mother wouldn't put on a great production of hair. Certainly better. My father knows every word and happily it was like they had 15 minutes times. to set change between those two, between the time jump things. They're like, okay, uh, give him some flowers. Get the extras with the pirate thing and the cowboy guy. The and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sli- s- throw some posters on the wall. Take down the boxing thing. Put like a neon green light on the bo- back and get that va- back that van and stick a decal on it and call her a day. Well, you know what it is like the the hippies are playing pot like uh, like one of those like sixties don't do drugs. Mo- uh, what what was that famous one? They did a musical out of. Oh yeah, uh, Reefer Madness. Reefer Madness. They're basically out of Reefer Madness in this, and it's really actually stupid. they're the most believable part of it. I, but however, good, bad, indifferent. It did allow us this screenshot, which I think it, is an all timer. <laughs> Keith. Anyway, so <laughs> breakfast has arrived in the processing center when Webb's son arrives. Bashir gives Tina Lifford some insulin, and they strike up a conversation with the two guards. Bashir tells them someday there won't be need for places like this, and they, to their credit, hope that he's right. Webb and Sisko keep negotiating with the cop, but she's, of course, slow playing them. It's going to take time. And Sisko says, you've run out of time. Webb says, do better. I Meanwhile, think, did I clock that Avery Brooks is a lefty in this episode? I feel like he was holding the gun with his left hand a couple times. Mm. I didn't notice. It would make sense that he'd be a lefty. We have to we have to see him throw a baseball. Yeah, you're right. Somebody somebody will know. Somebody will know. Well, when he tosses it up and down, what hand is he doing it with? Let's see. No, we're, we're gonna find it. All right, guys. Now we're gonna track what hand. New segment. What hand is Avery Brooks holding something in? Lefties have rights to bing. <laughs> Lefties are people. <laughs> oh, here's a good shot of the barricade. Yeah. Um. Yes. Oh, it's Meanwhile, Ninja Turtle time. No, it's lame. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Well, I mean, this is this is we're doing lame is now. This is this is Valjean crawling through the sewer. Um. So uh, meanwhile, Dax has found a way into the sanctuary, past the barricades, and through the Surrey. Surrey, the sewer. Wait, does that the fringe out top? 
Yes, no, it's not Les Mis or Ninja Turtle. It's it's uh it's Oklahoma. When I take you out tonight with me, listen here's how it's gonna be. All right, so she's following. Demonetized. Demonetized. Uh, she's followed by Clint Howard. Uh oh. And Cisco and Bashir are trying to get the computer back onto the net, but they can't figure out how. You got to plug in the modem. And then the hat guy brings in Dax, which takes us to Act 4. Hat guy is sad to see that Dax knows Bashir because he thought he had a chance. And Cisco introduces himself as Bell. And again, Dax is very smart on the drop mm-hmm. and uh, goes along with it. They tell her that they can't leave until this is resolved. Dax had her combat stolen throughout this process, but it's been set to submit a subspace distress call. Cisco tells Dax and Bashir to go find the communicator while he keeps trying to connect to the net. And luckily, Jedzia can help them connect. So Bashir and uh, Dax go to Clint Howard's building to try and recover the communicator. He's either dealing with some psychiatric challenges or is compromised in some other fashion, and he's afraid of aliens eating his brain out of his ear, but Jadzia introduces introduces herself as the good alien, and he gives her back the badge immediately. It's oddly sweet, if abbreviated. Yeah, it's it feels like maybe there was more of that, and they were just like, they cut it out, uh, and maybe that's what left so much room that they're like, yeah, let's get a quantum leap time jumper in there. Regardless, I'll say this, different, but... It saves the episode that they don't play this as a comedic beat. That once yes. again, Dax and or Bashir express empathy, compassion. Yeah. compassion to compromised folk or whatever. In this case, he's not even that compromised. He's, he's right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> In this case, uh, he's right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, kudos to them. It could have could have left a sour taste, but it ends up not. Well, I mean, yes. It, it's certainly looking back on it from 30 years, that could have been very offensive. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't because they treated it seriously and with compassion. Had they only avoided like his weird walk his, when we first meet him, but I guess it does serve to effect, effectively make us think he's going to do something harm to her, and it turns out that yeah. that's him. Yeah, he, he turns out to be um, benevolent. So uh, Dax heads back through the sewer and leaves Bashir, who is now fully committed to the cause. She goes to Elon, who is reluctant to override the government's block on the Sanctuary District communications because, you know, it's illegal and going to cost him his business, but Dax talks him into it. In the processing center, we see a line of Sanctuary residents telling their stories to the world. This is very important to what they needed to do. They Uh, just want to work. I'm going to pause you, sorry. I'm going to forget to mention this later, so I'll mention it now. Once again, another thing that a trap that I was afraid they were going to fall into, they don't fall into, and in the better episode is better for it. They don't ever play any sort of romantic beat between these two. Yeah, she, she not want to say manipulates. She utilizes her skill set and her intelligence to get what she wants from this guy who turns out not to be that bad a dude, uh, and be helpful. 
And it's it's her agency and her intelligence that do that. They don't make it flirty flirt. They don't make it sexual. They don't make her using her yeah. good looks. They do it the right way, and it's refreshing to see that. The only thing they do with her is playing the beat with the hat guy, but that's fun. That's fine. That's That was totally – that was an innocuous. So kudos. I think the episode is better for it because it shows agency from Jet Dax, not just that she's good-looking and this guy's hornball. You know what I mean? They, they right. do it the right way. Or, or at least he, he, he probably was hornball for her, but a responsible hornball. And that's yeah. all we can. That's all we can aspire to be, Mike. We can't control being hornballs, but we can try to be responsible and respectful hornballs. Yeah, fair. Yeah, the more you know, folks. Uh, so, yes, we see the sanctuary residents telling their stories to the world. This turns everything. Talking about empathy and eye contact with a problem changes is the most persuasive thing out there. They're using exactly that concept. We see the cop the negotiator out front trying to buy time from the governor, but he's sending in troops anyway. Here we go. In Act 5, Kira and O'Brien have arrived from 2048, but it's horrible then, and this helps it narrow, helps them narrow it down to three options. I wish we had seen 2048. I would love to see, like, 30 seconds of Terminator. Yeah. That would have been They weren't cool. happy, yeah. yeah. Well, they didn't have the money for it. But uh, they have three options, but they have only have enough particles for one more try. So they beam down on their best guess. Lucky that's, they're right. Uh, yeah, put a that's, pin in it. Yeah, like, Kira's that's pretty a worm, That's a wormhole. It's it. like it's not a wormhole, but it is lazy. It would have taken a 10-minute pitch meeting to come up with some techno babble to give, make them pick the right one finally. Like, this guess one I don't like, but... yeah. And we yeah, share that we share that feeling, so that's good. Yeah, yeah. I thought I was being so, too nitpicky. No, no, I'm like, oh boy, yeah, that's pretty dicey. Uh, but luckily, once they're down there, they pick up the signal and call Dax and make a plan to meet up next morning. Uh, the guards, the lady, and Bashir talk about sports and mention the '99 Yankees, who actually did coincidentally win that year. And Buck Buckeye gets a shout out uh, for winning in 2015. Um, I, I, did, did you remember uh, the the London Knights or the whatever it is the winning in 2015? Almost. The London Knights. That's who Buck Buckeye played for. Oh, well, okay. Or the London something something. Anyway, Hat Guy comes in to announce that the assault is probably going to start soon. And Cisco moves the hostages further into the building to keep them safer. Smart tactically. Webb wakes up his son and says, Get out, I'll see you later. Which guarantees that he won't. Oh yeah. And Hat Guy gives the kid his hat. He's turning out to not be as douchey as he could have been. Um, and we also know, uh, Hat Guy's toast now too. Mm-hmm. So uh, we hear. I think helicopter. they're fairly assuming they're all toast. So that's yeah. Least. I think they're. It's it's the barricades. It's it's uh it's it's lame is. Mm -hmm. Everybody's gonna die. The uh, the number of bruises I wore falling down the freaking barricades. <laughs> I looked like I'd been beaten up every night. Oh, so much fun. Never had more fun doing a show. Uh, so uh, their helicopters and the battle starts. Hat guy goes down immediately, and so does Webb. The uh, come in pretty, 
pretty explosive stuff. Lots of shoots and smoke and such. Uh, Vin comes out to try to get them to stop shooting, and Cisco steps in front of him and gets shot himself. And at this point, Vin stands up for the hostage takers and takes charge and gets them to stop fighting. Cisco will live, but Webb is dead. And in the aftermath, there are dead people everywhere. And we see Gavroche looking around for his parents. It's kind of brutal. Mommy! Uh, but, but effective. Uh, Vin decides to Oof. let... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, they don't, they kind of don't pull a lot of punches in this. Um, especially for, uh, for 90s television. Uh, yeah, I mean, look at the bodies everywhere. Yeek. Um, so Vin decides to let Bashir and Cisco go. He takes their ID cards and says, I'll pretend that you're dead. I'm going to place them on other bo- dead bodies. It's a deal. And Cisco says, tell the truth about what happened here. And Vin says, I would have anyway. When they return to the present, the timeline has been restored. Thank God. Bashir enters with a pad. Cisco is resting in the least comfortable possible fashion, probably wishing that they had built some sort of another set, but that's all they had. But Bashir has found a record in the historical database. It's a picture of Cisco as Gabriel Bell. Nice little touch. So, yeah, I guess, although my prediction, and I predicted early on in the episode, and I was so sure I was right, and I think it would have been better for it. Okay, let's hear To toot my own horn here, is because Schmitty had played such a big part in it all, and he's the one who got shot and killed, I thought that they either, when he switched the ID cards, they'd have Schmitty's face as Gabriel Bell, okay? Uh Uh-huh. Or, better yet, what was his name, Webb? That Webb how it went down and since he all the stuff it would be the only thing that changed in the timeline when everything got fixed up is instead of the bell rebellions it was called the web rebellions and it's about that dude to kind of focus refocus the hero um Mm. but i guess if you change anything if you change any ripple effect of the timeline then it gets hinky so i i think the i think i see two complicating i i like that idea right but i think there are two complicating factors one uh, Webb has family still alive, mm, 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 so um, that that would have definitely even even if um, they had called it the web, you know, instead of naming him Bell, right? They kept it the Web Riots. His surviving family that would have monkeyed with history, okay? Because they That's would fair. have been a part of that. Yeah, and I think thematically, taking the hero of this from a man of color to a white dude is also probably not something that they wanted to do. I like it. I like so, it. So that's that's my justification of it. Okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, so there we are. That is Past Tense Part 2. We saved all of space and time and are warping back for home. I guess they decided to skip the meetings with Starfleet. Let us... Uh, I don't have any vocab quiz because I, I didn't write, write any down. So it's time to just come along home, Mike. Okay, we begin as always. Mike, were there any wormholes in the plot? 
Well, the one that bugged me the most uh, is that, you know, they do such a good job of giving everyone agency eventually. Jadzia had a lot of agency here. All of our characters had a lot of agency. Odo, even, he learned a new technology to work the transporter. He had a little agency. But then we end up the whole... First of all, I don't understand... I guess because they had the the transporter emergency beamer that I guess O'Brien and Kira eventually have some agency, but it's all based on like just a wild guess. He's doing all this computer work, and the best it can do is at, they still end up just making a guess. So that's definitely a wormhole, and it bothered me, but it is what it is. Uh, that aside, I don't really have anything to discuss. Uh, hopefully, you do, and I can I can I can input. I mean, I think they once like we said last week, they really spent. A, a lot of effort making sure this was pretty tight and the time travel stuff is light enough that it's not that important um yeah i mean i guess i'd like to know there's a couple of superfluous beats like the whole dax and siddig going to get her communicator that whole fetch quest was weird and didn't seem to come from anywhere or go anywhere but okay mm. so but that's about it yeah no i i i, I kind of have the same things you do um you know the the guessing on location of the transporter. I'm of two minds because yes, it feels kind of reckless and kind of like the entire future of the Federation. We're just gonna guess, right? However, um, I'm assuming that the particles that they were using not only were they a finite source, but they're probably burning away, so they didn't have a yeah, lot of time. They didn't explain the ticking clock though, which would have fixed helped it a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I think that that would have been helpful. But also, you know, we're so used to very tidy solutions. We're used to like, oh, we know exactly what to do. We can reason it out. And sometimes life is just not tidy. And sometimes you just kind of have to take a swing. Um, so I, I I bumped on it for sure. But like, I see why like not everything is like perfectly wrapped up and we can be certain about everything. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you that the, the Clint Howard fetch quest thing was kind of superfluous and kind of rushed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I'm i a little bit, like the chain of custody, like how was he able to abduct Dax? How was he able to get them? I guess he maybe just like, like, hey, look, there's this crazy lady and they, and they swarmed her, I guess. Um, but like, why would he do that? Because he's not in cahoots with these guys. So like there's there's pieces of that part of it that felt a little un, undercooked, underbaked. Mm-hmm. Um but look, it was it was an idea to get a cool cameo in and it felt fine. Like I did, I didn't dislike it. No, and I and I'll put this here because it, it really it'll transition into the the further conversation but just to to see, there's a a bunch of these wormholes and I and I almost feel like sort of the center 33% of the episode falls into the trap of we set up all these pieces, you know, the big overarching conflict. We definitely know the final act, and the final act's right. going to be banger and baller. Right. Uh, and the intro to, like, reestablish where we're at and 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 raise the stakes a little bit and heighten the action, solid. We just kind of, like... The middle third is like a waiting game, right? It's it's really that's why and that's why we have to ha- we they couldn't really figure out they te- test they teased some plot lines like the whole Dax thing or the whole uh, 
time travel, and then they ended up not having enough, and they're like, none of that's really interesting, so let's just do this quantum leap bit with O'Brien and Kira, and that's not particularly effective. So you can see why they needed some padding, because they didn't, they couldn't really escalate anything once they got to the status quo. Luckily, the final act comes in, and and the overarching themes, I think, are strong enough to really make it a solid episode, but I, I understand why these wormholes exist. They, they didn't have a lot to do in the middle third. Well, I... Which is interesting because to get to the best moment part of this, I'll, I'll go first because I'm already talking. Sure. Um, the best moments for me are the moments in the middle third with the emotional beats, mm-hmm. right? It's it's the Tina Lifford monologue. It's Cisco, uh, you know, getting into Vin's face like I'm trying to keep you alive, and we're, where we're talking about the the stakes of all of that. And those were sort of like those while we're waiting conversations where we're starting to like um interact with the hostages as humans and 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 to build that sort of empathy stuff and so those those character emotional beats that were in that waiting time were the best parts of the show and i think that they maybe could have padded those out a little bit more as opposed to go on a little fetch quest i 100 percent agree uh i would say that it's a it's a matter of trust uh and I would say my best moment, and I'll lead us into the next conversation. My best moment, if I had to pick between the two that you mentioned, I love the Avery Brooks stuff. I really do. We talked about it during our, our recap, but the Alexander Siddig and Tina Lifford. Tina Lifford scene is the best scene because I think it it distills the whole yeah. this distills the whole episode down into one beat, and it's two people expressing compassion in the moment, lamenting on moments in their lives where they could have expressed more compassion but were caught up in the whole another another day, another dollar. The possibility of the system, too. Yes, and, and she, that's what I was going to say, she perfectly expresses in both regret but also sort of nihilistic acceptance that everybody Exhaustion. thinks they're going to... Yeah, everybody thinks they're going to make a difference, and tends and but we we all just go along, right? Because yeah. I, I think it's perfect. It, it's it's perfect. And if we were given out oopsies, Keith, she wins oh, the oopsie this week. Hundred percent. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, it, but oh, go, ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. That's it. No, it's just, I'm just going to say, like, as I'm thinking through my own experiences, right, about exactly that. All right. So, like, I'm a I'm a kid from from nice middle class Vermont and um moved to new york city and the just the the first six months you're there being face to face with um with people in real genuine desperation you know dealing with being homeless addiction mental illness and it's right there at your feet you're literally stepping over people in dire need and in order to exist you kind of have to turn it off and get on the subway and go to work. And and that's sort of the experience that we, like, we started like, oh God, what can I do? Blah, blah, blah. And you realize there's nothing I really can do. And I need to get on this train. And, and like the emotional despair that you first feel, which eventually becomes exhausted and numb, mm-hmm. it's exactly what she's talking about. And now like, is it any better now than it was 20 years ago? No. Did I do much of anything to help? Not really. 
it's a switch, right? It's a switch that we, yeah. we, we develop. Whereas there are days where, you, you, you know, you, your bleeding heart comes out or you're just your general human empathy and you're like, I want to help. What can I do? And then there are days where, like you said, you're running late or it's just too much and you just, you can flick the switch and ignore those people as you walk by. But an interesting thing we don't think about on a daily basis, but this scene sort of also highlights is that, you know, inside of that despair or that exhaustion or that feeling of of not knowing that the change is going to come you know we as the audience and Siddig knows or Bashir knows in the moment that tomorrow the change happens in an yeah. hour the change happens he knows and what would we do how would we live our lives differently if we had that type of perspective right mm. not the what if you could go back in time before uh Man, I hate to use a, a tragic one. I'm trying to think of something positive and wonderful. Uh, okay, uh, you know, how about, you know, that, remember the, the, the jubilation, Keith, that, that we expressed, I think, I'd like to think, as a, as a nation when Obama's administration passed the... the, the Affordable the, Care Act? Yes, the Affordable Care yeah. Act, or even, you know, the Defense of Marriage Act, or... Uh, oh, sure, yeah, that's a better yeah. example, yeah. Yeah. What if you went, you tram traveled to the day before that and yeah. went into some places where people were being treated away or or were venting their frustrations of not being able to be married or not being able to do X, Y, Z, knowing that tomorrow's going to be a little better, right? Yeah. Maybe it's not the radical change they experienced in this episode, but you, you, get, you catch my well, point. I, so it's, it's a cool perspective yeah. they have in that moment. Yeah. No. It, well, yeah, that's true. I mean, almost like not even the day before, but like 10 years before, you know, like, like you take, you know, marriage equality is a perfect example, right? It's like, you know, all of our friends who were not able to marry their partners mm -hmm. that we knew 10 years before the, you know, the, the court changed, you know, uh, it opened up gay marriage for, for everybody. And if we could say like, you know, it should be now. But it, mm -hmm. you will you will eventually be able to be married, and like it's it's good news. And does that inspire you to fight harder, or does it or do you or do you take a step back? I don't know. But I I, I think it wouldn't like if I thought that my my battle now could affect positive change. Of course, you'd fight harder, right? Well, being in the now is difficult because look, yeah. all change is slow, right? Good, bad, or indifferent, change is slow. But as you zoom out to scale, what it, ten a decade, yeah. two decades, it, it's nothing. It's it's blinks of the it's blinks of the eye, snaps of the finger. We just have the unfortunate uh, experience of having to live with the scale of time we have. Right? I mean, yeah. well, entire it, galaxies are whipped up in in things well, that radically change. You know. And having an eye on history and having an eye and putting, you know, being able to put your today in context, I think is, is very important, whether things are going to get better or whether things are getting worse. And you need to, you know, like you need inspiration that it's going to get better or you need a warning that it's going to get worse. Both of these things can come from a piece of history. Um, keep an eye on things. But uh, okay, folks, what do you say? Uh, let's give out some stealth stealing stumbles. Hell yeah, they are self-sealing. Hell yeah, hell yeah, they are. 
So as Keith mentioned, you know, we talked about some of our wormholes. We talked about that middle third kind of uh, reaching a little bit for extraneous plot threads, when in reality, as we also pointed out, those small beats in the middle are kind of the best stuff because of what we talked about in the beginning. If we're going to take an, uh, take a subject that is not particularly ambiguous ethically or morally, the good guys, bad guys, don't blur, right? Then you need to show the emotional heights and we need to feel it. And damn it if we didn't feel it. I mean, everything Avery Brooks says and does is is teeming with, yeah. with energy, with choices, with not just one emotion, but a complex alchemy of things that whether you can distill it all down into one thing, to, it doesn't matter. You feel something, it hits you right here. Every scene from, like you said, from the Bashir and Tina scene talking to the them talking about baseball to douchey hat guy coming around and realizing that he's actually going to give his life for something that might matter. All of those things are incredible. In fact, I'm going to go out far and say it on a limb, Keith, that at least t- until now, this was the best ensemble episode of Deep Space Nine not focused solely on our mm. principal cast. The yeah. ensemble members, the guest stars the, to the extras are so great in this episode, playing yeah. so well with our people that it creates, a, that they could have leaned on them more. Even Douchey Hat Guy was great. He came around. Uh, I think that he was written in a certain way that he had to make a lot of bold choices and do a lot of comedic scenes that I think are tricky to to gel as an actor when they're all over the place. But he found he found a, a line to to get somewhere where I gave a crap, right? And it didn't didn't have to end up that way. I think that speaks to him. To Vin having a sort of redemption arc, to yeah. Schmitzovich kind of being a, a a martyr. So much great stuff that they, I, I know that the writers felt like, well, well, we need to get Odo and Kira and O'Brien into this episode. We we need to get, yeah. but, but I don't know that they did. You know, I, I think there is a universe, a different, an alternate timeline where we could have been okay staying where we were and 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 sitting in that a little bit more. Yeah. But that said, you know, some look. We know that when we get to Stembolts, Keith, it's. There's no rule book, and and some things that bother us a lot in one episode, well, this these wormholes are taking points off, don't bother us in other times. I, I think this expressed the writers maturing to a point where they're they're not making some of the mistakes they made before. They don't hmm. trap Dax in a sort of no agency. She falls like in love. Like they did like three weeks ago. Yes, they <laughs> yeah. did better this time. I'd yeah. like to think in my head that she had some sort of input on that. True or false, she, you know, whatever. I'm going to choose to believe that she did. Uh, Avery Brooks, Bashir gets to not be the goofy one. He gets to be really heartfelt the whole time. Avery Brooks gets to be a badass, but also formulate a plan and keep pushing the plot forward and keep living on the hair's edge of disaster to get to where they're going. It And I felt... You know, I laughed. Kira's line, even in that goofy, even in these goofy offshoots that I didn't love, I, I I, I'd be lying nose. if I said <laughs> that I didn't laugh and it didn't work. Yeah. yeah. Well, work. It didn't turn me off. Even that weird scene with, with Ron Howard's brother, 
said had did something and showed a little bit of empathy and didn't completely make him a caricature, which I was afraid it was going to do, and it didn't do. Yeah. So, you know, on the whole, I would say that this impacted me emotionally more than part one, which mm. I remember really liking. And do you, But you said you didn't write our scores down? I, I forgot to write it down. I have to go back and watch it to remember what we rated I'm it last week. I'm pretty solid that I said 91 is, my, is what I remember. That is my memory as well. I'm going to write that in. Okay, so I'm going to say 93 this time around. Which yeah, is interesting I mean, to remember that people didn't love this one. I thought this was like heralded as one of the greats, but maybe not. But it, for me, it is now. So here we go. It's 93. Yeah, symbols. I mean, it's. I think the only reason it's not heralded as like the the greats of Deep Space Nine probably are that it's it's not tied to Deep Space Nine. Like, you know, it's like only half the cast is in it and it's not about what's going on in the station and, and all of like the big story arcs with that it's it's very much of a um like a, a very special episode of deep space nine it's an issue episode mm-hmm. um and uh but yeah but i you know i think for me i've grown to like it more as i said last week i've grown to like this story more as time has gone by um so i i agree with everything everything you said i think all the critiques we've basically made um i think it's uh it's an important episode, and I think in terms of um, looking forward, I think it is a very important episode for Bashir, and mm. for and and for Alex Siddig, like particularly because like he's definitely grown a great deal as a performer, as an actor, and his connection with the character grows through this. Um, it's it's very you know it's it's very prescient. It's very. Um, you know, uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you know, like sobering <laughs> to to look at it and and realize how little we have, how little it's changed, um, and that we're exactly where they thought we were going to be, mm-hmm. which is uh, you know that's sobering, it's a little scary, but that's kind of the purpose of it. This episode is a warning. And you know whether we heed it or not is is we we don't know. But um, yeah, I think I think Avery Brooks gives one of his best performances in this episode. Like it is it is just a um, it's where it's it's where the line between Avery Brooks and Benjamin Sisko really start to disappear. And I think that that is really interesting. It's really compelling to watch. Um, and uh you know and it's and it's fun and i i love time travel stories just mm-hmm. you know to get down to like the fun part of it right time travel back to the future we've messed up the timeline we've got to pretend to be somebody else a quantum leapiness like that's all really fun and i think you know what i think that's what it is i think people don't respond to this one as well as some of the other time travel episodes because it's not fun mm-hmm. and with time travel, I th- I think for those of us, especially who were raised on Back to the Future 2, right, where it's like, it's so much fun to screw around in, in time and that there are episodes, um, you know, or, or take even to Star Trek, you know, Star Trek 4, right? Yes, there are dire consequences, blah, blah, blah. Yes, it's a message thing, but it's really fun. It's really, it's really silly and it's really sort of, it's comedic and we're... We're like zipping around in the past and we're like, aha, we know things you don't. 
and uh, Voyager does that. All the episodes sort of, or all, all the series have an episode or two like that. And this one is like, this isn't fun at all. Right. Like this is dark and it's, it's very dire. And I think that's probably why it didn't connect with people quite as well, because we wanted the time travel to be a fun caper. And it's like, this is heavy. Um, but I, but that's Deep Space Nine, right? Deep Space Nine is heavy. Deep Space Nine is dark, and um, and I think that that is it's all tongue. So for me, um, it's hard to separate it from the previous episode. So I'm going to give it a ninety and say uh, I really liked it. The whole you know the the whole arc together feels like a movie, a continuous movie, which is also speaks well for it. Yeah. That it really did feel you could watch it as a as a film and not as two separate episodes. So uh, that is wait, Keith. Has- yes, hold on, I'm bringing him back. What what's happening? You get some oh no, what's happening? Hell yeah, this just in, folks. CEO Jen has oh, not. Yes. <laughs> has not watched this episode yet. She didn't know we were recording early, but she did send me a text, and she says, Oh, no, I haven't watched yet, but I predict the future in that Chancellor Jen will love it. Blind rating, (laughs) 98.5! Did we get a rating from part one, at least? Um, Not yet. Maybe that's what she means. Maybe... mm, No, she watched part one. She really liked it. I don't think we read her feedback or got her number for part one. Oh, well, okay. So, you know what? I'm going to retract this temple. I will let her give official ratings for both. But that no, was too no, funny not to say. Time travel. Time travel. It's great. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> what if I just, like, insert it in post? It's just her popping on. Yes. No. All right. Well, okay. next week is life support. Uh, going to be interesting. Uh, some stuff's going to happen. There we Uh-oh. go. Uh, you can check out all of our other shows. Look at my Star Trek toys, Kingdom Geekly, strange new show, and uh, all of our social medias and our usual stuff are here on the screen. If you're listening to it, it's just at Keith Varney and at MikeyI99 at all of our various nonsense. Thank you so much for watching. If you haven't already, give us a like, give us a subscribe, check out our Patreon at patreon.com. And if you're listening to the audio only version, uh, give us a rating and review on whatever your service of choice. It helps other people find us and listen to it. Uh, Mike, any final thoughts? Keith, I'm sure your surgery went well, but we're all pulling for you, even though uh, it more time travel yesterday. But regardless, good luck, buddy. Uh, happy birthday. That's all I got. All right. Till then, this has been Keith and Mike. Watch Deep Space Nine. Thank you for watching KM Entertainment. If you enjoyed our particular brand of nonsense, please like and subscribe. Or become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash knm.